What started with Samson was finished with King David. So from this, we need to know that God has an eternal perspective. He has a perspective that spans over tens, hundreds, thousands of years, and you are part of it. The question today for all of us is whether we are going to partner with Him or whether we're just going to be a pawn in the thing He's doing anyway. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church message of the week. Love Key Church is a local expression of a part of the body of Christ with a focus on creating a place, opportunity and atmosphere through worship music and the word where people can encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife Valetta and our four children, we recently launched Love Key Church right here in Somerset West. Enjoy the message. Please remember to like, follow and subscribe and to share this with other people if you find that it is uplifting, encouraging and inspiring to you. Thank you so much. God bless you as you listen to this word. So today we're going to talk about, we're still busy with a series called Aligning with God. The values of our church are encounter God, align with His purposes to reign in life and help others do the same. That is what we, in short, stand for. And one of the things, we, the first couple of weeks we spoke about encounters with God. And we've, before and now, after Easter, we are talking about aligning with God so that we can do what He wants us to do. Um, just go to that picture quickly. So you may not see it clearly here in the venue. Uh, it says the power of perspective. And what I did there is I put two pictures over each other. The one is of spilt water. And the other, if you look closely, you may see a big man pushing over pillars. So those are the, the clues, all right? So I want to ask you, how many of you have ever spilt water on the floor or dropped the glass and it just shattered everywhere, all right? That has happened to me many times. And um, to the massive frustration of my perfectionist OCD-ness, it's a really difficult moment for me <laughs> when that happens. Um, luckily, big part of that has died with, with Christ, and um, a better part has risen up. But every now and again, I have what I call old man hiccups, <laughs> when my old man who died wants to come back and and get angry at stuff like this. But it, it happens, and, and it's, it's normally, if you're really lucky, it happens on a dark floor. And when you look down, you know you spilled water, but you don't actually see the, the extent of the damage, right? And it's even worse with glass, because it shatters in little bits and pieces. What's the first thing you do when this happens? After you screamed. <laughs> or when someone else... Well, in my house, we have four little pairs of feet. And the first thing I do is like, Play back. Stand back. And you just want to keep them away from either slipping and falling on the liquid or stepping into the glass. Because you don't actually know how far the glass went. So like, I'm on a gamester. And so that's the first thing that, that I tend to do. Then the next thing you have to do is you need to know what is the extent of the damage. How far did this water actually go? How many glass little shards are lying around? 
So what do you do in order to get that right? You can't see everything, especially if you drop water on this type of floor right here. It'll be difficult for you to see exactly how big the splash is because you're looking at it straight down. What do you have to do? You have to move your head, your body at an angle until the light falls at exactly the right angle so that you can see, oh, there's a droplet, there's a piece of glass. Glass is the worst. I mean, after a while, I'm lying on the ground, you know, trying to get the right angle. It's, it's a mission. And then you have a little vacuum cleaner. <laughs> but the, the point is, you need to move your perspective of the mess to see the extent of the mess. Right? Are you with me? Am I laboring the point? <laughs> My wife always tells me I, I tend to over-explain. It's, it's the teacher inside of me. You can't amen to that. <laughs> I'm so glad she doesn't have a mic right now. You actually have to use the advantage of the light that, that the light has given you to see the mess. Hey, I need to interrupt this quickly just to tell you that at that point in the message, we had a internet mishap and unfortunately lost our audio for a few minutes. But what I went on to explain here is that we are talking about the story of Samson from the point of view of looking at the importance of perspective our perspective on a situation versus God's perspective. And we jump right into the first chapter in Judges where we see the story of Samson, which is Judges 13. And uh, here I will continue from the live session. Enjoy. And thank you for listening to our podcast. It starts in verse 1. This is how the story of Samson starts. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife, we don't get her name ever, I don't know why, because she's amazing. You'll see now why. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but... You shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to, begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. First of all, we see the state of the people of God. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But their eyes were not in line with God's eyes, the way he was looking at things. They had their own perspective leading them. The Philistines we read as, uh, from, from history were people of the sea. Their god Dagon was half man, half fish. And they did not live in Canaan originally. They moved there. Some commentaries believe they were actually from another place. And when the Israelites were doing evil, God made or caused the Philistines to come there to torment them. To punish them for their disobedience. Our story centers around the people of the tribe of Dan, who at this stage were in the central part 
of modern-day Israel and close to the ocean. I don't have a map for you, but that gives you an idea. At this stage, they were still there. Later on, they moved up north out of the, where they were supposed to be. God raised up different judges over the different tribes. That's why when you, when you add up the years, the judges were judging Israel, and you add up the, the time that the book was written over, there's more, there's like 400 years of judges, but the time span is 200 years. And what we get from that is that God was raising up judges in different tribes over the same period. Do you get that? It's just a little side note. All right, back to our opening scene. A barren woman is visited by an angel of the Lord and is told that even though she's barren, she will conceive a child. That's great news, right? Amazing. But there's an instruction. She must be careful to raise the child as a Nazarite from the womb. Now, a Nazarite is, just means someone set apart. Someone who is, um, a lot of the Levites were Nazarites. They didn't, like it says, they didn't use alcohol. They let their hair grow, um, and they never touched unclean things. So they were not allowed, for example, to bury dead bodies. Not allowed to touch it. But what was unique about this, because the angel of the Lord appeared before his, his conception, he could tell the woman that he will be a Nazarite from the womb. I don't know about you, but I hear a similar tone in this instruction, similar to God telling Adam and Eve, I give you all of this, but be careful not to eat from that tree. It's what I was referring to earlier, the one thing that God says, this is, this is I love you, but I want to see how much you love me. So I'm going to put this thing here that's going to always be there. No fruit of the vine, no wine or similar drink, no unclean thing is to be eaten, and his hair was not to be cut. Very specific things that are important to keep in mind as we go through his story. And this line that we read here with the prophecy from the angel is very important. He says to the woman, he will begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. It didn't say he will deliver them. It says that he will begin to deliver them. That's very important. At this stage, Israel, specifically the Danites, were under the rule of the Philistines, but they were living in relative peace with each other, as long as the Israelites stayed in their lane. <laughs> it seems that God wanted to change this, and he began with Samson. Some of the commentaries and um, writings of scholars that I read, they say that they were, being, um, they, they were taken over by the Philistines, but they reached the point where like, they accepted it, and they were living in relative peace and harmony with the Philistines. And God was not happy with the situation. The importance of perspective is seen right throughout this whole story. Even with the parents of Samson, we already see a difference of perspective. We are not told what Samson's mother name is, but she seems to be more in touch with what God is up to. She knew it was a man of God with the countenance of an angel. She, she ran to her husband after this encounter, we read, and told him about it. And he prayed to God and said, Lord, please come back. I want to speak to you as well and hear what we're supposed to do with this boy. So the angel does appear again, but only to the wife. And she's out in the field. I don't know where the man was, but the woman was out working. So she went and called him to come out. Even in that little moment, I think there's a, there's a hint of, you know, don't let your wife work alone because you might miss out on an angel. <laughs> anyway, so he comes back, the angel waits, and he asks, uh, how should they raise this child? And the angel 
basically just repeats what he said to the wife. It's almost like he's going, um, I told your wife what to do. It didn't change. <laughs> the perspective that I gave her is the right one. But, and then he said, hey, stay, we'll, we'll buy a bookie for you, and we can have a bit of a party. And, uh, and, what, and then he asked him, what's your name? Because I want to, when this all happens, I want to thank you by your name. And he said, my name is too wonderful for you. And he said, you don't want to praise me, you want to praise God. He kept referring the man back to the Lord. And the, but because he, he was trying to worship the angel. Anyway, what they ended up doing was making an altar and sacrificing animals and grain unto God. And then the angel went up in this flame into heaven. And the man was like, we will visit it by God. We will surely die. <laughs> and the wife was like, what are you talking about? Why would he tell us all these things and, 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 and you know, prophesy this and then kill us? He just told us we're going to have a son. Hello? <laughs> So the wife is way more in tune with what God is up to, and she's seeing the situation for what it really is. It's quite amazing. Now, something that I noticed for the first time myself is that the angel never says he will have superhuman strength. Nowhere is it mentioned. It just says he will begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. And that was the, that was the message. All right, let's kick off at Judges 14. This is where Samson sees the first Philistine woman that he liked and decide he wants to marry. Judges 14 from verse 1 to 4. Now Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So that's already, you know, Samson, you're going in the wrong direction, bro. So he went up. After he saw this woman, he goes to his dad. He says, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. <laughs> then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Other translation says, She looks good to me. Now, this is important, but, this is a very important but, but his father and mother did not know that this was of the Lord. What? That he, God, was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel, and God was not happy about that. This verse, this last verse is very important and it puts the whole story of Samson in a whole other light because the rest of his story can all be traced back to this moment when he was attracted to a Philistine woman it's important to note it never says he loved her it did say he we're going to get to that that he loved Delilah but it says he just thought she looked pleasing to him so he didn't fall in love he fell in something else but this moment and how, how does this mess with our Christianese mindset, right? God is causing him to fall in love with an, or fall in like with an unbeliever. For what? His purposes. Keep that in mind. Now, also note the parent's perspective. You should marry a girl from our people. He was a Nazarite and it would be wrong for him to marry a foreigner. 
One scholar does note that God only forbade the Israelites to marry Canaanites when they moved into that nation. So technically, it wasn't forbidden to marry a Philistine, but there was definitely a problem marrying someone who believed different than you. And it takes us back to a verse that says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And Samson had a perspective, a very simple one. She's hot. I want her. Why did he go down to Timnah, a Philistine city in the first place? We don't know exactly, but it does seem that he did not mind mingling and getting to know some of the Philistine people. It could be that he was curious and looking for some excitement. Some of the scholars note that it was seen in those days, if you think of how young people think, the, the, the Hebrew towns, the Jewish towns were seen as a bit boring and stuck up, and the Philistine towns were where the parties were at. They were down in the valley. So the young men would go down to the valley to have a party and then come back to the boring place. Uh, so this was probably why he was doing it. He was curious. Plus, remember, he's doing what is right in his own eyes. But what is God doing? He's using it for his purposes. But this moment where he sees this woman and tells his parents, I want it, it sparks everything else that happens in Samson's life and that ends up killing thousands of Philistines, which was the beginning of God delivering his people from them. When and how this plan was, was ultimately fulfilled is in King David. After this, we have the story of Ruth, which according to David Pawson and other scholars is actually part of the book of Judges. Ruth is not a, supposed to be a book on its own. In the Jewish Bible, it's part of Judges. And then we have the books of Solomon. And we see the people of God who has no king saying, we want a king. And Solomon went to God and said, listen, they want a king. And God said, they have a king. I am their king. And, they, and he went back to the people. He said, God is your king. They said, no, 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 no. We want a, we want a, a man. And then he went back to God and said, they want a king. And then God said, tell them if they have a king, he's going to tax them. He's going to take their animals, take their land, and a whole list of things. He goes back. He tells that to the people. The people say, we want a king. He's like, okay. He's And that is how messed up are us, are we as people, that we think we need that kind of leader because we're too afraid to be intimate with God. And that's actually at the heart of this issue with Israel. But it's also a question we have to ask ourselves. But we see that what started with Samson was finished with King David. So from this, we need to know that God has an eternal perspective. He has a perspective that spans over tens, hundreds, thousands of years. And you are part of it. The question today for all of us is whether we are going to partner with him or whether we're just going to be a pawn in his, the thing he's doing anyway. So I hope your perspective is starting to shift a little bit. I'm going to try to go through a sequence of events to show you why I'm saying these things, but I'm going to do it as quickly as I can because there's a lot of information <laughs> through those four chapters. So he likes this girl. What happens? He goes to her with his parents. What is going to happen? They're going to negotiate for her marriage. So they go. The Bible says they walk through vineyards. The next moment, a young lion attacks uh, Samson. He kills him by ripping him apart. They say, like a young goat, you rip apart. I'm like, I don't know the last time you ripped apart a young goat. But that also seems hard to me. (laughs) 
But it's like, it was as easy as ripping apart a goat. It's like, okay. But apparently it was easy to rip for him. <laughs> and it said, the, this is the first time we see the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he did that. And from the context, we can derive that his parents at that moment wasn't with him because it says he didn't tell them. But it's, it's kind of weirdly phrased. He said, they're walking and the next moment there's a line and then he didn't tell them. I'm like, how did you get away with that, bro? <laughs> But I was, I was reading up on this one guy who knows a lot about the Jewish background and tradition. He said, what probably happened is because they walked through a vineyard, Samson, who's not allowed to touch anything from the vine, walked around the vineyard and his parents went straight. So in that moment, he was alone. So that happens. He goes, they negotiate the deal. He goes back home. Time goes by. They don't say how much. He comes back on the same road for the marriage feast. He checks the place where the lion was killed. He sees now there's a carcass and bees have formed a hive and there's honey inside the lion. Now, to Jewish people, a lion is unclean and it's dead. And there's food inside of it, which he takes and eats and then gives to his Jewish parents. And he doesn't tell them where it comes from. What is he doing? What's right in his own eyes? And he's, he's, he's going against his Nazarite vow. Then, from this incident, what happens? He gets the riddle. Who remembers the riddle of Samson's story? You mag antwoord die pa, jy weet te veel. Ek joke. So the marriage feast is happening between him and this lady. In that, those days, it was over seven days. So the wedding feast is lasting for seven days. Only on the last day do they actually get married and they consummate the marriage. So the whole time, they're just hanging out and partying, okay, and drinking apparently a lot. Now, the people also reckon, even though it's not written down, that because of the pattern of Samson's life, there's a very good chance he was partaking in the fruit of the vine, in this party. But what we see here is that they had this moment and it was tradition apparently to have riddles told in, at these parties. So Samson says, I've got a riddle for you. And he's convinced they're not going to get it. And he wages 30 tunics and festive garments, which is very expensive. And he tells them, um, let me just get it right. I don't want to say it wrong. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And they are flabbergasted. They have no idea. For three days of this party, they can't figure it out. Then eventually they go to his fiance and say, listen, you better get this thing out of him because if you don't, we're going to kill you or your dad. One of those. I forget that little fact. But they're going to do something horrible. She then, what? <laughs> this is so funny. She then nags him. For the rest of the seven days, she cries. You need to tell me. She does that whole thing that some ladies do when they want something. And he breaks down and he tells her before the seven days are up. And she goes and tells the Philistines because she's just trying to preserve her own life. They come to him and say, it's, it's a lion and it's honey. And he's like, I know now that she, was, she broke down and she told you. 
So he's angry at her. He's angry at them. And what does he do? He walks away 20 miles and kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothing, and brings it back. So he's honoring the wager, but he's doing it through Philistines. Now, how do you get clothes off dead people? You have to touch them. He's touching dead people, bringing it back. And out of his anger, this happens. So he brings it to them, and he walks away. Time goes by. We don't know how long. He comes back with a little goat as a gift to the, to the wife that he thinks is his wife. He comes to the father's house and says, I want to come in and I want to be with her. And he says, no, I thought you hated her, so I had to marry your best man. But hey, have a little sister. She's much prettier anyway. That's literally what happens. He gets angry. He says, now no one can blame me for what I'm about to do to all the Philistines. Then he gets the 300 foxes. He ties two of, by two their tails together, puts torches in it, and lets them, let them run into the fields, grain fields, olive fields, all kinds of vineyards. Everything burns down. The Philistines are like, what the heck is he doing? Or they first ask, who did this? They say, Samson. They say, why? He says, because this father gave his wife away to someone else. Then they burn the father and the daughter. Then he gets angry again at that. And he kills a whole bunch of Philistines that don't say how much. And then he goes to a cave. While he's in the cave, the Philistines move against the people of Judah, and they start attacking them. The people of Judah's like, what the heck's going on? Why are they attacking us? Because we were living in relative peace and harmony with our oppressors. And they say, Samson. So 3,000 people of Judah rock up at the cave where Samson is. And they say to him, dude, what are you doing? They didn't say dude, but they said something to that effect. And say, listen, we, we need to make this right. We're going to arrest you and take you to the Philistines, okay? <laughs> Samson's like, sure, just as long as you don't kill me. They're like, we can do that. It's the weirdest little negotiation that you see there. So they tie him up with new ropes, and they take him to the Philistines. 3,000 people of Judah. Can you imagine that picture? They rock up. There's a whole bunch of Philistines. They start rejoicing because they've captured Samson. The next moment... The, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson and the ropes break like they were flax melting at the fire and he kills a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. Boom. And he heaps them up. The next moment after this massive victory and he says, Lord, I'm thirsty. Are you going to let me die? And God breaks open a rock and there's water. He drinks water. He's fine. The next moment, the next chapter, first line, Samson went to Gaza and slept with a harlot. What? What is wrong with this guy? And then he's here in Gaza. He gets surrounded by the Philistines because they hear he's there. So either he rocks up and he's quite loud, or he, he doesn't really make any secret about what he's doing because he's doing what is right in his own eyes. They hear about it. They surround him. They plan to attack him the next morning. He gets up at midnight. Apparently, he found out that he was surrounded. He gets up at midnight. Listen to this. He takes the city posts, the gates of the town. He lifts up, breaks it out of their position. He puts it on his shoulders, and he walks towards Hebron. Some people say he walked to Hebron, which is 40 miles. Others say he just walked towards Hebron and threw it over the hill. They reckon those gates were a couple of tons each. It doesn't say the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in that moment. But apparently, 
it didn't bother him. He could still do it. He was carrying gates. Weird moment in this whole story. The next moment, we, say, we see that he says, he loved a woman of the Philistines called Delilah in the town of Sorek. And then it gets very interesting. Not that it's not been interesting up until now. So now we get into the whole story that many people know, the story of him and Delilah. It says he loved her. It never says she loved him. She was playing him from the start. And the Philistines knew that brute force was not going to do this. We're going to work through this lady and catch this guy. But throughout all of these things, because we can look at the story, look at his life, look at his choices and have that perspective, or we can have God's perspective on the situation. What are we doing? So keep that in mind. Now through the whole thing, you know what happens. She, she starts nagging him, like the first one. You don't, tell me, you don't tell me your secrets. You don't really love me. You know, all that stuff. And he tells her three wrong things. What he's, if you think of the riddle he told, he probably liked games. He probably liked playing tricks on people. He probably was a bit of a prankster. So now he's messing with her. He's in love with her, but he's also now messing with her. He doesn't want to just give it away. But eventually she wears him down. Now, it's important to know that every time she did this, there were, there were Philistine soldiers in the room hiding away. But they never attacked because he always broke three when she's... He always broke through when she shouted, the Philistines are upon you. But then they, he didn't see them from the context of the Bible. And then she wept. He said, you've, you're humiliating me. You've, you've, you've messed around with, with this whole thing. And I really just want to know, you're not sharing your heart with me. And the next moment he, he, he cracks and he tells her everything. He tells her, I'm a Nazarite. And from my mother's womb, I've been set apart. I'm not supposed to do this and do this. And if, if you cut my hair, then I will lose my strength. And then the Bible says she knows that he had told her his whole heart. She knew, as messed up as she was, she knew something was different. He told me his whole heart. And then she went to the Philistine lords. Some people said there were five who promised her 1,100 shekels of silver each. She went and told them, he now told me the truth. You can come and bring the money. That's how confident she was. So they paid her. She had someone come in and cut his hair. And when he woke up, it says, the Lord had left him. The Lord had departed from him. Now, if we look at everything he had a vow about, and we assume that he had alcohol at the wedding, we can assume that the very last thing was the hair. Of, out of all his vows, and how merciful is God? He was giving him a chance, giving him a chance, giving him a chance. And he let the last thing go. And what happened in that moment? He chose to share his heart and his most intimate secret with someone from another tribe, a godless person. And let's be honest. We know this from Scripture. His, his strength was not in his hair. It was a symbol of his commitment to God. That's what it was. And in that moment... He decided to, be, to share his whole heart with a human being that doesn't believe that was just manipulating him. And what he was doing was he was turning his heart finally away from God completely. And that's when he lost his strength and God left him. How many chances had he had to be part of what God was doing? And he let it go. And then this, you know what's, what happens. His eyes get cut out. 
Now the man who was spiritually blind is physically blind as well. And he gets ridiculed by the Philistines. He, he, he gets to do a job where he has to grind. They, the one scholar noticed that when we see pictures of him, we see him walking around a mill with a stick in his hand. They said those things were invented only a few hundred years later. So he was literally sitting and breaking grain manually. They said it was a job of a woman. So he had, this big strong man was having the job of a woman and the Philistines were mocking him the whole day. We don't know how long that went on, but it says his hair started growing again. And the power is not in the hair. What I believe God is trying to show us there, are we a pawn in God's plan that's going to happen anyway? Or are we a partner with God in his plan? That is what we need to ask ourselves. And what happened, I believe, what happened in this moment in jail with his eyes being gouged out, losing everything, literally losing everything. I think as his hair was growing back, what was growing back was his faith. And not just his faith in God, but his faithfulness to God. His heart that he turned to Delilah was turning back to God. The same way we read in Malachi 3, turn your heart back to me and I will turn back to you. So as his hair was growing, his faithfulness was growing back. What was not growing, I think, was his spiritual maturity. Because what happened in that moment is where he, the young boy let him out so that the Philistines can ridicule them before their God, Dagon. 3,000 of them mocking, joking, jeering, making, just breaking down the God of the Hebrews and saying, he's not a powerful God. Look, at we got his hero. Let him amuse us. Let him entertain us. And he's standing there and he was let out by a little boy and he's, he asked the boy, please show me where the pillars are so I can lean against them. And then he has a last prayer, Judges 16, 28 to 30. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. He still didn't have... God's full perspective. He lost his physical eyes. And although he grew back some of his faith and faithfulness, he still didn't see the bigger picture. But God could still use this for his greater plan, which was to get rid of 3,000 Philistines. Samson thought it was just getting back for his own eyes being gouged out. But why were they gouged out? It was his own doing. It's been a back and forth with him and the Philistines the whole way through. And through all of Throughout all of that, God knew the beginning from the end, and he was orchestrating this whole thing for his purposes, for his people. And I believe what God wants us to realize all today is that we need to ask ourselves, what is my perspective on life? What is my perspective on my own life? About my marriage, my parenting, my family, my, my business, the work I do. We all stand before a decision every day. I'm either going to do what's right in my own eyes or I'm going to do what's right in God's eyes. Maybe some of us feel like our life is a mess. It could feel like it's spilt water on the floor or a broken glass. And you just can't see the extent of the damage. You just can't see the extent of the mess. And you just feel like oh, it's, 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 it's hopeless. I can't fix this. I often speak to people that tell me, they don't know how to fix their lives. I recently spoke to someone that 
try to help them and they said they just needed some time away from God to think about things. And my heart just broke. I immediately thought of Psalm 139 that says, no matter where I go, you are there. When I go to the depths, you are there. When I go to another nation, you are there. We can't get away from God. And my heart's desire for that lady and for all of us is that we will know that we should know we can never get away from God, but we can grow closer to Him. And our hearts can be far away from Him, but He is always near and ready to receive us. So I don't care how bad the spillage or the brokenness of your life is, if you can just get God's perspective on who you are and what you are going through and what His plan is of eternal, His eternal plan where you are a part of that plan, I tell you, it will give you so much hope and excitement and passion to wake up each day. Imagine if Samson was a man who saw this from God's perspective, and God led him to that same temple on that same day, but gave him a way to do the damage and leave alive walking with God. He surely could have done everything God wanted him to do in partnership, but instead, because of his immaturity, his unfaithfulness to his vows, he was just a pawn in the plan, not a partner. So let's ask ourselves, do I want to be a pawn in God's plan or do I want to be a partner in His plan? Let's take a moment to reflect and respond and ask God, where in our lives are we maybe a bit like Samson or maybe a lot like Samson? Where in my life am I doing what's right in my own eyes? What area of my business, my family life, my finances am I doing what is right in my own eyes and I don't even think twice about it anymore. It's just how it is. Or maybe you're doing something out of habit because your dad did it or your mom did it and it was right in their eyes so I'll just keep doing that. And maybe God wants to come and show you, no, just because they did it and because it's habit or tradition, it's not necessarily my perspective on the situation. If you are hurting, if you are broken, if you are shattered in some way, I want you to know, God has a different perspective to what you are going through. Choose today to not just be a pawn in this world, but to be a partner with God, to step into the fullness of the joint airness that you have in Jesus and walk it out in the fullness that He has for you. A lot of the hurt and the damage that we receive, that we go through, is self-inflicted. But yes, there are the moments where we suffer for Jesus. There are the moments where we have to be disciplined by God because it shapes our character in our lives. But we can avoid the other type. We can avoid the type that's there because of our own bad decisions, because we did what was right in our own eyes. Today, God wants you to align the way you see yourself, the way you see Him and your future with the way He sees it. Let's close our eyes and let's just have each a moment with God alone. Ask Holy Spirit, what is that thing? What do I need to change? What do I need to shift? How do I need to tilt my head so I can see all the broken pieces and clean it up with you?
you, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that today we can shift our perspective to come in line with yours. Lord, I thank you for Samson. I thank you for the life that he lived. We know that he made many mistakes, but from his life and the fact that he is in your word, we can learn so much. Help us, Lord, to not do what is right in our own eyes, to not fall in the bad patterns of our ancestors in the faith, but to align our vision of life, the way we look at things, with you and your word. I thank you right now, Lord, that I almost see this picture of how we take off old glasses that are dirty and mucky and, and just give us a distorted version and how we take it off and how, Lord, you, you don't give us new glasses, you give us new eyes. <laughs> new eyes that see clearly 2020 vision of what who you are who we are and what we're supposed to do Lord we all want to partner with you in your plan and not just be pawns in your plan help us to do that Lord in Jesus name we pray Amen and Amen thank you so much God bless you tell someone you're a partner of Jesus next to you and let's give God a big praise offering Amen Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church message of the week. We trust that you found that encouraging, inspiring, hopefully challenging in a good way, and that you will come back next week to listen again. Please remember to like, follow, and subscribe, and to share this with other people if you find that it is uplifting, encouraging, and inspiring to you. May God bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you and your family. Bye-bye.